0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to be talking about interfaith dialogue and the spirituality of interfaith effort coming up in the program. First, I wanted to get in an email in response to our conversation from yesterday. You may recall, hope you were tuned in. We talked with filmmaker Helen Whitney. We spent most of the hour talking about her newest film, Forgiveness, a time to love and a time to hate. Some very difficult and interesting issues surrounding forgiveness. We got talking about the second half of her film near the end of the hour. Uh, which uh, deals with an interesting phenomenon in our times of nations seeking forgiveness. Some nations have issued formal apologies for uh, the uh, atrocities of the past, and Helen Whitney uh, offered the opinion that uh, the United States could use some of the same strong medicine, including apologies for uh, atrocities against Native Americans, uh, slavery, etc. Here's a response from a listener in Logan. Speaking of Native American events, where an apology is missing is the event in 1863 of the Bear River Massacre, just a few miles north of Preston uh, in Idaho. Just a little bit, uh, it's in the Cache Valley. Today is the 150th anniversary, so that was yesterday, of that event. Hundreds of Shoshone Indians were killed in that event. That is an email from a listener in Logan. appreciate that. You can continue the discussion from yesterday on our website, upr.org. Just click on Access Utah. Now the subject for today. My three guests uh, call themselves the Interfaith Amigos. In fact, they're probably used to uh, being described in the press as the beginning of a joke. Uh, and it, it does sound like the structure a pastor, a rabbi, and an imam walk into a restaurant or write a book. In fact, they have written a couple of books. It's a very serious subject, and it's Interfaith Dialogue, The Spirituality of Interfaith Effort. Their latest book is Religion Gone Astray, What We Found at the Heart of Interfaith. And that book is a centerpiece of Ogden's Interfaith Week, which begins on February 2nd. On Monday, February 4th, You have an opportunity, if you're in the Ogden area, to join in a book discussion on this book. That'll be 7 p.m. in the main branch of the Weber County Library. The three, uh, or the Interfaith Amigos, are Pastor Don McKenzie, Rabbi Ted Falcon, and Imam Jamal Rahman. And gentlemen, uh, you're joining us from the studios of KUOW in uh, Seattle. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Thank you.
1: No, we're glad to be here. Yeah, Thank del- you, Tom. Delighted. Thank you. Uh,
0: Pastor McKenzie, I believe you are somewhat recently retired from uh, from uh, heading a congregation of the United Church of Christ. If I'm That's right. correct, yes. Uh, Rabbi Ted Falcon, you you do head a, uh, a congregation, right?
2: I actually left the congregation at the end of 2009.
0: Okay. Uh, and uh, Imam Jamal Rahman, uh, you uh, are in the Sufi tradition, is that correct? And you you do have yes, a congregation. Yes, the
3: Islamic Sufi tradition. Yes, and I have a congregation which is called Interfaith Community Sanctuary.
0: So you're you're walking the walk there with your community. Well, okay. I, I'd like to think so. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I, it's a very interesting story about how you uh, all got together. Um, a- a- as a group, I wonder if you could tell us that story. This was in response, I understand, to the events, the tragic events of nine eleven.
2: It was Tom. This is Rabbi Ted. Um, we each knew each other in other settings, but we'd never actually worked together. And when nine eleven happened, the first person I called was uh, Imam Jamal, because it was clear that another face of Islam needed to be put before the public to counter the the evil radical violent face of islam that the media were pounding into our consciousness so i called jamal and invited him to share with me that the friday evening shabbat service that week and discovered in working with him that we shared we just shared a common heart of spirituality even though that spirituality was arising from our different traditions. And we started working together after that in many, many interfaith programs in Seattle. We became good friends, myself and
3: uh, Rabbi Ted Falcon, our families, our congregations. Uh, We did what the Quran says, uh, get to know the other on a human level. And then we got together with uh, Don subsequently, and I always joke and say that after I got to know both Rabbi Ted and Pastor Don, mm-hmm. I began to realize that Ted and Don are two of the best Muslims
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't quite sure how to take that comment <laughs> at that time. High praise. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand that. That's what he meant.
0: He meant yes. that high praise. Yes.
3: <laughs> and then, uh, you know, uh, when I and Ted got together, we did a lot of interfaith programs. Any interfaith program in the state of Washington, we were the usual suspects. And we realized that we are cousins. We are part of the same Abrahamic family, a very dysfunctional Abrahamic family.
1: But our third cousin, the Christian brother, was missing. That's where Don comes in. Mm -hmm. So about uh, six months after 9-11, Rabbi Ted called me and and said that he and and Jamal and some others were planning an event to mark the first anniversary of 9-11. Would I like to be a part of that? I had known Ted in the Jewish Christian Dialogue in uh, Seattle, and I had seen Jamal's picture in Yes! magazine, so I knew I would like him. And I said yes, and um, we had the event at my church, University Congregational United Church of Christ in Seattle, and as we were debriefing that event, we three looked at each other and said, we can't stop now. We had no idea what that would mean, but I think we shared an intuition that if we could penetrate the barriers that have divided and separated our traditions, uh, we could do something that could lead to both a deeper spiritual sensibility and the possibility of cooperation on the great moral issues that, that we're facing. So we started to meet weekly, very intentionally, to get to know each other and to trade stories about our traditions and so forth. we started to give the interfaith programs that um, Imam Jamal was talking about. And uh, we took a trip to the Middle East in November of 05. Um, and we were on the radio weekly here in Seattle uh, from July 06 to July 07. And then we decided to write a book. And that came out in June of 09. And We've been on the road ever since, really talking about what we've been learning and encouraging our people and our audiences to uh, think about the kinds of things that we've been learning so that they might um, enter into this kind of important dialogue.
0: I imagine, uh, and in fact you write in the book, so I I know it's the case, and and we'll get into the steps of interfaith dialogue, five, five steps but I'm guessing it started out somewhat polite, and then at some points maybe got a little bit tense. In fact, I'm reading an article from the New York Times which quotes Rabbi Falcon, uh, who says one of the problems in the past with interfaith dialogues is we've been too unwilling to upset each other. What it, you, you actually go to some of the conflict points, and, and how what are some of those conflict points?
2: Yeah, we, do, we do the very best we can to upset each other, <laughs> um, but basically looking at the... Areas in our traditions that, in fact, are contrary to the very core teachings in our own traditions. And, and in order to kind of get there, we would say a few things about the core teachings, Because we use the core teachings as a guideline to evaluate the other teachings and the other practices and the other rituals in our traditions. The core teachings are spiritual teachings which then get encapsulated in an institution. And in an institutional setting, often things wind up happening or being supported that are contrary to those core teachings. The core teachings, for example, in Judaism, revolve around the expanding awareness of the meaning of oneness. where where that oneness was perceived as one God among many in the very early biblical stages, then it evolved into an understanding that there's only one God who's efficacious among many who are not. Then it evolved into, and this is an oversimplification, but then it evolved into where there is only one, there are no others, but that God was still perceived to be out there, somehow separate from the world, and then it evolved into an understanding that there is, on the one hand, God is totally transcendent in the sense that God is a container for everything that exists, and at the same time, that God awakens within each individual as the life, as the, the presence, as the truth of their being, so that God manifests as a container for everything that exists, and God manifests within the individual, and that God manifests in the authentic relation between individuals and among individuals. So we live, so to speak, in a God field, and we are striving to understand the implications of that, how that, in fact, ties us together with all of creation, understanding ourselves to be absolutely interconnected with all that exists.
1: And in Christianity, uh, we feel the core teaching is unconditional love. And I say we, uh, obviously this is my conviction as a Christian, but we share this conviction. And um, it's, it's something that I think we don't think about very often, because if you try to imagine loving someone without any conditions, it's not what we normally do. We do love people conditionally, even though we might not want to, but that's part of who we are as as human beings and the way our egos function and so forth. But Jesus' message really calls us to that moment of unconditional love, which is, illustrated so beautifully in the parable of the prodigal son where the parent welcomes the uh, the son back from that distant country with no conditions and throws a party so we feel that unconditional love is necessary to make real the oneness that Rabbi Ted has just described and the core teaching in Islam is compassion compassion for
3: self and compassion for others uh, the Prophet Muhammad once, uh, peace be upon him, said that all that is in the holy books is in the Quran, all that is in the Quran is in the Surah Fatiha, that's the first chapter, all that is in the Surah Fatiha is in the invocation called the Basmallah, which opens virtually each of the 114 chapters of the Quran. And the Basmallah says, uh, "Bismillah Irahim, in the name of God, boundlessly compassionate, infinitely merciful, when asked what is the secret uh, to this Basmallah? And the Prophet Muhammad replied, the great secret is that on this journey of life, be compassionate with self and be compassionate with others. And if you want to understand the majesty and beauty and power of this, uh, in other traditions, also, as also in Islam, the Quran points out to the element of water in nature. There's nothing as soft and yielding as water, yet for overcoming the hardest Nothing is as powerful as water. Also, as the Quran says, wherever water falls, life flourishes, meaning the person who is gentle, merciful, compassionate, possesses authentic strength, and is life-giving and life-bestowing. So the divine quality of uh, cultivating and practicing compassion for self and for others is a key.
0: We're talking on Axis Utah today with the uh, Interfaith Amigos. That's Pastor Don McKenzie, Rabbi Ted Falcon, and Imam Jamal Rahman. They have a new book out. It's called Religion Gone Astray What We Found at the Heart of Interfaith. These three gentlemen got together uh, in the aftermath of 9 11. They have been teaching interfaith dialogue. Uh, and pushing that ever since. And their book, Religion Gone Astray, is a centerpiece of Ogden's Interfaith Week, which begins on February 2nd. Your opportunity to discuss this book with others is the 7 p.m. on Monday, February 4th, as a part of Interfaith Week at the main branch of the Weber County Library in Ogden. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back with the Interfaith Amigos, we're going to talk about uh, their experience as the other And illustrated in their book by an interesting experience, which the three of them had uh, in a a restaurant or a bar with a group that uh, potentially posed danger. Two of the three interfaith amigos uh, sensed danger. One of them did not. Uh, And we'll talk about the four uh, sort of conflict points, exclusivity, violence, inequality of men and women, and homophobia, all that coming up with the interfaith amigos following the break. Previously on Car Talk, I flunked 801 twice, Professor Teaser. from Professor <laughs> Laszlo Teza, <laughs> Mr. Magalosi, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to
2: give you an F. <laughs> again. Again. <laughs> and I said, Professor Teza, thank you. <laughs> Don't miss the fun this week. Join us for Car Talk. Saturday morning at 10 and repeat Sunday at 5 on Utah
1: Public Radio.
2: Did you know that students retain content from an informational text better than they do when the information is embedded in a story? Did you know that when students are rewarded for reading across a wide range of genres of texts, it has a positive impact on their attitude toward reading? When young children are given a choice of books to receive as a gift, they often favor informational books. Did You Know That is made
0: possible by the USU Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, More at cehs.usu.edu. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with the Interfaith Amigos. They are Pastor Don McKenzie, Rabbi Ted Falcon, and Imam Jamal Rahman. They're joining us from the studios of KUOW in Seattle, Washington. Uh, That's where the gentlemen live. Uh, They uh, got together uh, with Interfaith Dialogue. They've uh, been uh, promoting this ever since, uh, not only with their congregations and in in events in uh, Seattle, but with a couple of books. And in fact, their latest book is a centerpiece of Ogden's Interfaith Week, which begins February 2nd. On February 4th, that's a Monday, 7 p.m., in the main branch of the Weber County Library, their book, Religion Gone Astray, What We Found at the Heart of Interfaith, will be uh, the the centerpiece of the discussion. You're welcome to join this discussion at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or uh, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Perhaps you have an experience, good or bad, with interfaith dialogue, or a conflict point with a member of another religion that uh, you were able to resolve or not. We're talking about interfaith dialogue with the Interfaith Amigos on the program today. I wonder if I could get wonder all of you to tell me the story that you have in your uh, introduction. Uh, very interesting. Two of you had uh, long experiences being the other, and so you sensed danger in a, a restaurant or a bar, and uh, the other of you did not, and that uh, sort of provoked a, a dialogue among the three of you.
2: Well, uh, it's, a, it's a good uh, example, Tom, of some of the stuff that we've been learning when we didn't even know we were in a situation for learning. We had uh, finished an evening program, and uh, we decided uh, to move into the bar area of our hotel. It was the only area that was open where we could get something to drink. Um, Our standard line, the pastor, the rabbi, and the imam walk into a bar. They order two martinis and a root beer. (laughs) Uh, since uh, Imam Jamal does not drink alcohol. Uh, But as we were walking into the bar, there was a table of rather inebriated young men, I would say 20s and 30s. And we were still in our outfits uh, from the speech. So I'm wearing a kippah, uh, you know, the head, the skull cap. I'm carrying a Hebrew Bible. Uh, Brother Jamal is dressed in his usual uh, collarless shirt and carrying a Quran. Pastor Don is wearing a clerical collar and carrying uh, his Bible. And we just, we, we hadn't given much thought to how we looked, and we just were walking in after the program. And as we passed that table, both Jamal and I were aware of some jibes that were coming from those young men directed toward us. And both of us sensed the possibility for some danger. And we sat down to order something to, to snack on, and I turned to Jamal and mentioned them, and he said yes, he was aware of them, and he heard them as well.
1: And Pastor Don didn't know what we were referring to. Right. You know, I I didn't notice, I mean, I noticed these guys sitting there, but I didn't sense the danger that Ted and Jamal did. And it, I think for me, Tom, it was a remi- an important reminder that as a Christian straight male, um, I have never had the kinds of experiences that my brothers here have had um, in this Uh, predominantly Christian culture, where um, people might make disparaging remarks or even um, uh, suggest danger. I I suppose that in one odd kind of way, as a Christian pastor with them, I was in danger that I didn't know about, um, because they might have said, what are you doing with these guys? Um, But the only otherness I've ever experienced is being left-handed, and so it was a very important uh, very important experience for me to know that they they experienced something that I didn't and that I needed to be um sensitized to that and on a particularly mundane level Jamal and I are
2: the short guys in the group and Don is the <laughs> tall one and I think somehow we feel safer in his presence yeah i'm the protector <laughs> so we thought ultimately he'd take care
3: of yeah, us anyway. and i will <laughs>
2: But you know, besides the
3: fact of of vulnerability and the environment we are in, I think there's a very important lesson here, which um, every tradition emphasizes, that the best way not to feel this adversarial situation, not to dehumanize or demonize the other, the main solution is if we can create an environment where we can get to know the other. Uh, This is a very... uh, prophetic verse from the Quran, which is reflected in verses in other traditions also, Uh, and the Quran says that God has deliberately created diversity, and even goes on to say, we have created some of you to be a trial for others, for one essential reason, that you might get to know the other on a human level, personal level. And we have found in our work that the essential key which really overrides most other techniques, is
0: really the
3: art and the practice of creating a human relationship with the other. Differences will still exist, be they religious, political, cultural, but once we get to know the other, it no longer looms
1: as a threat, and many doors, many possibilities open up. You know, Tom, when we started working together, we didn't say we need to get to know each other. I mean, I think we intuited that. And in fact, we did get to know each other over time and found that there are universals which transcend the, the particulars that have divided, the things that people call irreconcilable differences. There are universals that transcend those boundaries and give us a place to be very comfortably together, not just comfortably, but frankly, thrilled uh, thrilled to be together. So, on that question of conflict, you know, it, it's a question of getting to know the other and beginning to experience those sort of universal places where where our humanity connects, and then fi- after that, getting to talk about the particulars that relate to those things. And so, those first two steps of interfaith dialogue: getting to know the other and identifying the core teachings, which you heard us talk about a few minutes ago, and of course when we say those things, we say, don't accept these from us. Think for yourself, what are the core teachings of your tradition, whatever it is, and then begin to try to understand how those things transcend the boundaries of our traditions. Those are the first two steps in interfaith dialogue, and they can help, help us get to a place where we can hear each other better, have compassion, and learn from each other.
0: I'd like to, uh, you've mentioned the first two stages, and uh, stages three and four, which I'd like to get to next. In the context of our core teachings, share consistencies and inconsistencies, and then stage four, engaging in more difficult conversations. I imagine among the three of you, you have had difficult conversations, and I'm wondering, uh, are, are maybe pick an issue that... Uh, just isn't on the face of it reconcilable, but you, you have to skirt around the edges or agree to disagree. But but you engage it head on.
3: You know, uh, we have uh, traveled all over the country, met many interfaith groups, um, and we found that they go up to a certain point. But when the issue of Israel and Palestine comes up, many withdraw, and because they haven't done the previous uh, three stages uh, of sharing stories, uh, appreciative understanding, looking into their particular and universal verses. When the the trust is not there, the issue of Israel and Palestine becomes a very large one, overwhelming. But because we have followed those stages and actually practiced them, we are able to have, shall I say, vigorous discussions. So I've had very vigorous discussions with Rabbi Ted Falcon, and often Pastor
2: Don McKenzie has been the uh, mediator, as it were. To give you an example, Tom... When I look at the State of Israel, excuse me, <clears throat> when I look at the State of Israel, I see an extremely small sliver of land that turns out statistically to be one two hundred and fortieth of the land mass of the surrounding enemy Arab countries. I see a sliver of land that can fit into the state of Florida seven times a sliver of land that can fit into the state of California sideways. And I see a sliver of land that is under constant pressure and the possibility of attack from the surrounding peoples and constantly in a state of defensiveness. When uh, Imam Jamal looks at Israel, he's his basic viewpoint is significantly different, and it's crucial that I understand it. Uh, And from a Palestinian Mm -hmm. point of
3: view, a Muslim or Christian, or a Muslim point of view in any uh, non-Arab country, they see Israel as a huge dominating military machine, which is allied with the resources of the Pentagon and which overwhelms the area, uh, the Middle East area. Uh, so our viewpoints are different, but as uh, Rabbi Ted Falcon mentioned, because we have that connection of friendship, we are willing to actually listen to each other, and that makes a difference.
0: Mm. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, you know the old line: you should never discuss religion or politics in polite company. This is where you gentlemen live. Uh, right. It, it's but getting to back to the the question of Israel, the Palestinians. I mean, that is a, it's a very hot topic. And as you mentioned before, some people get to that point or a similar point right. and, and, and don't continue. You're able to, but, yeah. but I, I don't know if it ever gets reconciled. There's understanding, obviously. Is is that enough?
3: You know, i tell you one thing. For example, we've been to the Middle East twice, and because we are friends, because we have discussed this, because we are connected uh, as human beings, we see a large number of programs that contribute a great deal to peace but are not, are not sexy enough. They don't get the attention of the press. For example, there are groups in Israel-Palestine where there are Israeli parents whose children have been killed by uh, suicide bombers and Palestinian parents' families whose children have been killed by the Israeli Defense Forces. When they get together and talk so sincerely and fully about the senselessness of violence, that makes a huge difference. And there are groups like this that are really quite extensive uh, in the Middle East and outside the Middle East. And these are the groups that really will
2: eventually bring about peace at the grassroots level. Hmm. We know some things about conflict resolution that pertain to all issues of conflict one of the primary of which is that if people imagine that all the problems are only the consequence of the other side and their own side bears no responsibility for the conflict peace resolution can never be achieved it is absolutely essential for both sides to begin to recognize their the ways they have contributed to keeping resolution from happening, to honor the fears they have should resolution happen, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that a resolution in particular in an area of Israel-Palestine is going to result in each side not getting everything they want and in each side getting some things that they really want. And to begin with that kind of consciousness so that they're not totally bent out of shape when they realize they can't have everything they want. There is not going to be total justice. So it's an attitude that many of the Israeli and Palestinian peace groups adopt, but it's not a popular political attitude. I would also say a very important point, Tom. Uh, Ever
3: since 9-11, initially, reluctantly, Muslims and Jews have gotten together and begun the dialogue on the Israeli Palestinian issue. As a result of that, over these uh, years, we have seen now uh, new groups coming up Uh, the J Street Lobby, uh, the uh, American Jewish Voices for Peace, and this is slowly beginning to affect uh, very gently, but I think in a very concrete way, public policy. It has even reached the White House. Uh, But the point is that once you create friendships, you begin to listen to both sides, many doors open up. And I believe it's happening in America right now.
0: You're uh, hearing the Interfaith Amigos. uh, They're joining us from uh, Seattle, from the studios of KUOW there. Uh, And they live in the Seattle area. Pastor Don McKenzie, Rabbi Ted Falcon, and Imam Jamal Rahman. Their uh, latest book is Religion Gone Astray, What We Found at the Heart of Interfaith. And that book is a centerpiece of Ogden's Interfaith Week, which begins on February 2nd, and on February 4th, 7 o'clock in the evening, that's a Monday, as a part of Interfaith Week, there will be discussion of this book at the main branch of the Weber County Library in Ogden. And we uh, have the Interfaith Amigos with us uh, for another uh, 15 minutes or so. You're welcome to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to hear your story, 1-800-826-1495, or you can email us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, in your book, uh, you, uh, you, you address head-on the issue of violence in, uh, in religion. And in fact, you uh, make reference uh, to one of the popular books that came out after uh, 9/11, "The End of Faith," uh, Sam Harris's book. Uh, in it, he uh, he posits that uh, there are just violent aspects to the Abrahamic religions, and uh, the answer, perhaps, is to to get rid of religion itself, it's just causing too many problems. I wonder if you could uh, address that question, and especially. Uh, members of one religious tradition pointing figures at another religious tradition, that that must put a strain on interfaith, (laughs) dialogue.
2: It does. Um, I think we start with uh, something that uh, Sam does not, and that is a recognition that all of our traditions grew from uh, strikingly deep spiritual uh, teachings, And that as a consequence of groups coming together to celebrate those spiritual teachings, institutions arose. And it's in the nature of institutional life, whether it's a religious institution, a corporate institution, a business institution, or even an institution of marriage and relationships, parenthood, um, institutions tend to eclipse their their initial purpose for being by other imperatives including keeping themselves afloat expanding themselves as institutions paying their staff getting new members convincing people that they're better that you know that people should join them rather than joining someone else and there comes serious conflicts between the essential teachings and the institutional frames, which attempt to carry the teachings, but sometimes lose them.
3: You know, the three of us, so we, may, we always tell this joke that uh, God comes down and reveals certain basic truths to some people, but then the devil comes along and says, let me organize that for you, and that becomes religion.
1: You know, Tom, violence is one of those four areas that we identify in our book as areas that uh, point to inconsistencies—things that are in, verses and practices that are inconsistent with those core teachings that we that we mentioned a little a little bit ago. And violence is essentially the product of egos that are not open, that hearts that are closed, and so forth. And so, one of the great purposes of religion, one of the great spiritual teachings that Rabbi Ted pointed to a few mo- moments ago is the importance of being able to open the heart, to put the ego in a place where it can manage the self without damaging the other. In fact, with a, in a place where it can pr- help to provide energy to be open to the life and experience of the other. And, but we're still in a very violent stage. Um, we're still in a very patriarchal stage. And so we feel that one of the benefits of interfaith dialogue is to help each other realize what those things are about and begin to move in the direction of nonviolent responses to conflict, not just nonviolent, but creative and imaginative uh, responses uh, to to, uh, conflict.
3: And Tom, the point you mentioned about always thinking about the other as being violent and not uh, looking at oneself, I just want to point out this uh, wonderful saying by that famous uh, Russian dissident, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who said, if only it was so simple that there are some evil, violent people out there, and all you have to do is to separate them, isolate them, and destroy them. He says, alas, the line dividing good and evil runs through every single human heart. And who is willing to tear a piece of his or her own heart? So the the thing that, uh, the the point that Don was making, is critical. We need to do that inner spiritual work of transforming our ego and becoming more authentic, evolved human beings. That is the key.
0: We are talking with the Interfaith Amigos. They are Pastor Don McKenzie, Rabbi Ted Falcon, and Imam Jamal Rahman. They got together in response to the tragic events of September 11, 2001. They have been talking about interfaith dialogue, and their latest book is Religion Gone Astray, What We Found at the Heart of Interfaith. That's a centerpiece of Ogden's Interfaith Week, which begins on February 2nd. We'll take a brief break. And when we come back in the final segment with the Interfaith Amigos, we'll talk about the goals of Interfaith Dialogue. They talk about something they call the uh, spirituality of uh, interfaith. And uh, we'll uh, continue on to stage five of Interfaith Dialogue following the break. This week in This American Life, When Jennifer was three, she lived in an all-black neighborhood in Milwaukee. One day she was riding her tricycle and saw an older white couple sitting on a bench.
1: Because I
3: had never seen white people, I assumed that there were ghosts. So I waved, and I remember hearing... (laughs) I thought, wow, that must be the way they talk.
2: Kid Logic, true stories, this week on This American Life. Sat Friday, Saturday morning at eight. At, <laughs> Saturday morning at three.
1: Sunday at two p.m.
2: Did you know that approximately seventy-five percent of students who receive mental health services get these services in school settings? School psychologists and school counselors are key mental health providers who help teachers and families maximize students' active engagement in learning and
0: strengthen their personal, academic, and social development. Did You Know That? is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu.
2: Also at 630 today on Utah Public Radio, you can catch Governor Gary Herbert's State of the State
0: here on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to U Time. Tom Williams, thanks for listening. We're joined by the Interfaith Amigos. That's Pastor Don McKenzie, Rabbi Ted Falcon, and Imam Jamal Rahman. They have a couple of books out. One is called Getting to the Heart of Interfaith, the eye-opening, hope-filled friendship of a pastor, a rabbi, and a sheikh. And their latest book is Religion Gone Astray, What We Found at the Heart of Interfaith. That book is a centerpiece of Ogden's Interfaith Week, which begins on February 2nd. And uh, you can join us here at 1-800-826-1495 or email at upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Uh, gentlemen, I, uh, I think some people in Utah would be curious uh, to, to what your experience has been in interfaith dialogue with, uh, with the Mormons.
1: Tom, you know, we haven't had much. We, I was on a, an interfaith committee of the Church Council of Greater Seattle, and there were some members of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints on that committee, and that was really the only experience I had when I actually got a chance to get to know them a little bit. But my experience, personally, my experience is unfortunately limited.
3: You know, uh, the Islamic faith uh, all over America, actually, have had uh, recently uh, rather extensive dialogue and uh, interaction with Mormons, and they're finding out that they, do, they share a lot of common values, and so it's almost uh, a joke now that whenever a new mosque is built, uh, among the first ones who will come and uh, attend the, uh, the opening are actually Mormons. Uh, in some sectors, Muslims and Mormons
2: are developing a close relationship. We, well, we haven't as a group uh, presented to Mormon audiences. Each of us have had our individual experiences. For a while in Southern California, my community met in a Mormon sanctuary, and we got to know some of the Mormons and got to be impressed with the level of community service that they're that they were able to achieve in terms of caring for members of their own community who were in trouble, uh, taking care of each other. I think all of us are impressed with the ways Mormons have been able to uh, provide those kinds of support services for each other, but but we have not had the occasion yet. We look forward to it when we can discuss with Mormons the five stages of interfaith dialogue and some of the things that we find interrupt that. Hmm.
0: I wonder—I'm uh, uh, guessing the answer is no, but I'll throw it out there anyway—can uh, can you imagine any religious tradition or have in mind any religious tradition which would, uh, for you, perhaps be a bridge too far? You, you couldn't, could not achieve interfaith dialogue or progress with, with that religious tradition.
2: Yes, but the answer, I think, is going to surprise you, because the groups that we have the most difficulty with are not interfaith, Mm. but intrafaith. They are those groups within our own traditions that are so conservatively oriented that they believe that they have the only way to celebrate our faith so that there are groups within the Jewish community, for example, that don't consider me a legitimate rabbi and don't consider my way of praising God, of praying, of acting in the world to be legitimate expressions of the Jewish tradition. And the same is true for Pastor Don and Imam Jamal. And
3: many people think that uh, how could you uh, connect and become friends with agnostics and atheists? In fact, uh, we all say they are some of the best Muslims, Jews or Christians we know because uh, they just call God by a different name. They call it truth, justice, humanity. So we have wonderful dialogues with agnostics and atheists. But I want to emphasize what Brother Ted has said. The greatest
1: difficulty is more in intra faith within our own religion. You know, I think and when we use the word spirituality tom we use it in an inclusive sense spirituality pertains to all hum, all humanity and so we feel that all spiritual traditions are traditions that we have um, something in common with and that we can communicate to but that bri- that bridge too far that you just mentioned i think would be with a group that might consider itself to be not fully uh, engaged with um, helping to uh, contribute to the common good, and that would, that would be more difficult for us. I think it's not impossible, but um, for example, a group that advocates violence right. as a path, right. of mm. course,
3: we could not uh, connect with them.
0: Hmm. I'm wondering uh, about uh, go back to stage three. Uh, in the context of our core teachings, sharing consistencies and inconsistencies—that sort of gets to—and you've mentioned a couple of times the word vulnerability. There, there has to be. It, I imagine you have to build quite a bit of trust because uh, on the path in those five steps, you're you're opening yourselves up. You're in fact you're even pointing out uh, parts of your own tradition which are inconsistent, and, and you're advocating being very honest, open. So that you, you have to build up some trust, I imagine, to get to that part.
2: Exactly, and that's why the first two stages of the interfaith dialogue process are so crucial. So many groups start with discussing things that are alike in their traditions, or they come together to discuss things that are not alike or, or difficulties they have. And we believe that first, people have to come together and Meet each other as human beings. Talk, we have a whole series of questions, which we they're, they're uh, pointed to in our books. They're at our website, uh, interfaithamigos.com, um, which help people talk about incidents in their own lives, their own stories, which introduce them to each other in a non-threatening but a surprisingly deep way. So that then when we talk about each of our understandings of the core teachings of our faiths, it becomes clearer and it becomes easier to communicate. And then when we look at that third stage and say, look, we're not only spiritual traditions, we're people. And we're not only people, we are institutionalized. We're representatives of institutions. And there are some things we do that are not in alignment with our core teachings. For instance, exclusivity, when none of the core teaching supports my way is the only way. But the institution winds up supporting that, and much of the violence that happens is a direct consequence of that sureness of exclusivity. And the key word you mentioned, Tom, is trust. That, As Ted said, you do stage
3: one, you do stage two, you develop some trust and stage three.
1: Uh, we are able, as you said, we're able because of that trust to think about the verses and practices in each of our traditions that in the first place are consistent, that do reflect and draw energy from those core teachings, but also at the same time to talk about verses and practices that are inconsistent. Exclusivity, violence, economic injustice, the inequality of men and women, homophobia all those things reflect an inconsistency with with the core teachings And when there is
2: yeah and we shine our core teachings on those specific issues, they open up in different ways,, yeah. and then that leads us to the fourth stage where we can speak as we just indicated yeah. about issues that have been very difficult right. but we're we 're talking about them on a foundation of far greater trust and far greater understanding. And then, Tom, we are able to reach that fifth stage where we are able to participate with each other in spiritual ritual so that if I'm in a church participating in some form of a communion, I'm not becoming a Christian I'm allowing myself to worship the same God, the same spirit, the same presence we all worship through a community that's doing it a different way than I. And that is a reflection of what Imam Jamal constantly says about interfaith. We say that
3: interfaith is not about conversion. Interfaith is about completion, becoming a more complete human being. So I, as a Muslim... My roots are always in Islam, but as I open myself to the beauty and wisdom of other traditions, it waters my Islamic roots, I become a better Muslim, I comprehend my Quran much more deeply, and I evolve into becoming a more complete human being. This is the purpose of interfaith.
0: It seems like your, your goals, at least as the three of you, for interfaith dialogue are pretty big. Uh, healing the world, in fact, on page one sixty two of the book, that, that's 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 grand and noble. It's, yes. Is that achievable?
2: But, but you know, you th- mean that you th- haven't th- noticed what's <laughs>
3: happening already? <laughs> <laughs> but Tom, you see, the, the, the key uh, issue here is it has to start with oneself. So every single tradition asks us to do the inner work of transforming the ego, opening up the heart, being of service. This is why we call it the most inconvenient work. Once we do this, we have the foundation then to be a source of healing to the world.
1: You know, Tom, we are in the, in the midst of an evolution of humanity going back millions of years. And so we don't expect to see necessarily material consequences of what we're talking about but we believe it is possible and that is uh, also a core belief of any spiritual tradition that that spiritual growth uh, heightened spiritual awareness through spiritual practices can one day ultimately bring about the healing that um that is so deeply needed in this in this world
2: and even in smaller chunks to have an event happen where one religion seems appears to confront another and have the response not be the demonization of the other tradition, the fragmentation, there's somebody else, there are enemies, and realize, wait a minute, we are judging an entire community by the actions of a few. And the same thing can be said, incidentally, in applying this to the to the political situation that now occurs in the United States, where the actions of a relatively few are just claimed to cover all. All Republicans do that. All Democrats do that. Instead of understanding that the people in our community, Republicans and Democrats are surprisingly aligned on a great number of issues, even if many of the people in Washington are not.
0: Hmm. So that's uh, interesting. You're, you're applying this to the political realm. It does, I agree with you, is some of the problems and perhaps some of these solutions could apply to uh, uh, to the political divide?
2: Absolutely. We've, we've been feeling that this right. is the direction of some of our, our future work. You think in the religious uh, sphere, we're saying at least two things must be
3: done. The expansion of religious literacy, that's critical. And the other one, more difficult but absolutely essential, to really sincerely get to know the other on a human level without any agenda. As my brother was saying, to share stories. This is a wonderful saying, this universe is not made out of atoms. It's made out of stories, starting with really sharing stories and connecting on a human level.
0: Mm. Uh, I wonder what... What progress you're seeing? I imagine you're seeing some progress. Unfortunately, we do have uh, not infrequent test cases. One of the one of the more recent ones in the shooting at Fort Hood. Yes, which came on the heels of 9 nine eleven a few a few years later, and and again a reaction against uh, you know Muslims everywhere.
3: You know, on on just a very uh, simple level, uh, a big effect we see is uh, mosques, just Islamic mosques, before nine eleven, were fairly insular. They were going about their own business, but today, every single mosque uh, in this great country is doing this outreach work of interfaith, of really uh, expanding religious literacy, connecting with the other. We've seen this happening not just with mosques, but all the houses of worship, and that's a very big step, huge progress, I would say.
0: Mm. Uh, so, uh, w- uh, do you have an- another project in the works? Next book?
2: Well, the next book, we're going to totally fix everything but still we <laughs> haven't quite fixed yet. I mean. <laughs> You know, um, our books have actually come out of questions that have arisen when we've made presentations all over the country. And we're at a, a place now of collecting those questions and looking at, okay, what are the concerns? And the direction so far seems to indicate that what's needed is a book that provides specific spiritual practices from each of our traditions that can help us internally and as communities transcend that which divides us. Mm
0: Well, we are out of time. We've been talking with the Interfaith Amigos. They are Pastor Don McKenzie, Rabbi Ted Falcon, and Imam Jamal Rahman. Their latest book, Religion Gone Astray, What We Found at the Heart of Interfaith, is being used as a centerpiece for Ogden's Interfaith Week, which begins on February 2nd. The book will uh, have a discussion. You'll be able to participate in that if you're in the Ogden area, 7 p.m., Monday, February 4th, the main branch of the Weber County Library in Ogden. The website for the Interfaith Amigos is inter. FaithAmigos.com, gentlemen. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, thank, thank you, you.